Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of December 9, 2018. The 2018 ACB Radio Holiday Auction is now over, and we set several new records. There were 77 items in the auction. We were on the air almost eight hours, and we had raised over $14,000 for ACB when we went off the air. Here are a few sound bites from the evening. Hello, everybody from ACB Radio and the RadioStone.com. Are you guys ready for this year's ACB Radio Auction? We are ready here. We are live from Louisville, Kentucky. And my name is Michael McCarty. With me is Carla Rushville. Carla, how are you? Doing just fine, Michael. Awesome. Glad that everybody is with us. And we look forward to a busy, busy night of raising money for ACB Radio. We got 77 items up for bid. And so it's going to be wild and crazy. Do we have Dan Spoon on the line? I believe Stay. we probably do. Let's, let's see let's here what let we Dan got Spoon here. open, and then we'll give everybody the, the rules. And this is Dan Spoon, and he's uh, the first vice president of the American Council of the Blind. And we're so glad Dan is with us. Welcome, Dan. Well, thank you, Carla and Mike. What an exciting evening for ACB. Isn't it, isn't it fantastic? That's awesome. Yes. Dan, would I be correct in saying this auction? raises about one-fourth to one-third of the money that's needed to run ACB radio. You are exactly right, Carla. It's, it's, uh, it's wonderful that everybody uh, gets in as a team effort and participates. Well, we appreciate having you up first on our program because it's always great to hear from the leadership, and so we very much appreciate you taking the time to call in and, and kind of get this kicked off for us. Well, thank you, and I just would encourage everybody to have a little patience this evening. I know Carl and Mike and team are trying something new, and I think it's going to work out great, but we're all going to have to roll with the punches, right, guys? And, Absolutely. And I know we're going to have a, a great time. So I like so the of rolling with the punches and not punching the host. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Bid, bid, bid. Raise That's money right. for ACB Radio. Thanks. I like, his, I like his attitude. There you go. Our next item is item 19. This is Get the Convention Picture. Rochester, New York, where the action is for the 2019 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. Get a head start on attending the 58th Annual ACTB Conference and Convention with this great package. Includes three nights during convention week at either of the official hotels. An incredible start to an incredible week with ACB, donated by ACB of New York and Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator, St. Paul, Minnesota. And Mark Riker is, is the first bid here. $300. Mark. All right. All thank right. you, Mark, for that opening bid. We appreciate that. Awesome start to this product here. We have one of the spoons. Let's see which one it is. Which spoon? Hello, Michael. It's Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Um, what's the last bid? Because I keep getting muted and unmuted. 360 is the last bid. 400. 400. All right. Thank you, Leslie. We'll try not to uh, mute and unmute you so many times there. And we have Steve on the line. 475. And Steve, which Steve do we got here? This is Steve Bowery, California. 
All right. All right, Steve, we're going to change the name on yours because you got Steve iPhone, so we're going to put your last name on there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate that. Let's see here. Anybody else got those hands up? We have Peggy on the line with us again. Hey, Peggy. 500. 500. All right. Thank you, Peggy. We appreciate that. All the hands are down. Peggy is the highest bidder right now at 500. We have Rick Lewis on the line. Hey, Rick. Hi there. 520. 520. All right. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate that. Marsha Moses on the line with us. Uh, 510. Five. Actually, it's right now at 520. 525. 520. Oh, five, I'm sorry. Uh, 530. That's all right. 530. All right. Thank you very much. Steve is back on the line with us. Five, 550. 550. All right. Thank you, Steve. And Rick Lewis. Yes. 560. 560. All right. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate that one, Rick. 560, the highest bid right now from Rick. Anybody else? Any more hands? Steve is on the line with us. We got you, Steve. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, 575. 575. All right. Thank you, Steve. And we have Rick Lewis on the line. 580. 580. All right. Thank you, Rick. All right. Let's see. Is anybody going to go? Steve is back on the line. Hey, Steve. We got you, Rick. I'm sorry, Steve. Steve, are you there? Yes, uh, 600. 600. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right, so they got Steve at 600 right now as the highest bid. Oops, somebody's still unmuted. Yeah. Okay, all right. Going once to Steve Bauer for 600. Any more bids? Going twice to Steve Bauer for 600. Sold to Steve Bauer from California for 600. All right, thank you, thank Steve. You, Steve, and congratulations. It's going to have a great start to the ACB All right, convention. the next item is those, they're in the auction every year, and they are those Maker's Mark Gourmet Bourbon Balls. All right. An elegant gift for family, friends, and business associates. Fine handcrafted chocolates made from an old family recipe laced with a generous touch of Maker's Mark bourbon. One pound gift box contains 32 delicious pieces. Donated by the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky. Bids are now open on the bourbon balls. Mark Reichert, first yes, up. Indeed. Did you say there are 332 pieces in that box? There are 32 pieces. My bid is $320. $320. All right. Well, thank you very much, wow. Mark. We have Ray Campbell on the line. Ray, we hadn't heard from you tonight. I thought you'd show up with the bourbon balls. <laughs> 400. How much? How much? 400. 400. 400. All, All right. right. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Ray. Terry Lynn is on the line. I'll pass. All right. Terry's going to pass. Sheila Young is on the line. 
This is uh, Cindy Van Winkle, actually. Well, um, but I, we'll I can't compete before. with those heavy hitters, so I'm going to pass. <laughs> All right, she's going to pass. All right, and let's see. Do we have any other hands? We have Mark Riker down the line. Cindy, I'm no way a heavy hitter. I'm just a fool for bourbon and chocolate. Four hundred and twenty dollars. Four twenty. That's Thank all you, right. Mark. We appreciate that, Mark. Thank you very much. Everybody's got their thing, you know, Mark. It's just it's just the way it is. Ray Campbell's on the line. Hey, Ray. Four fifty. Four fifty. All right. Thank you, Ray. Let's leave Ray up for just a minute and see if Mark wants to challenge. Let's see if Mark's going to yeah. come back. Yeah, more. We got Ray. Okay, we got Ray. Ray at 450. Right. Now we've All got right, Mark. Mark on the line. 480. Oh, boy. All right, Ray. 500. 500. Mark? 525. 525. Ray? I'll pass. He can have it. All right, he's gonna take it. We have no more hands up on this on this item, right? No, Paula. Okay, so the bourbon balls are sold to Mark Reichert for five hundred and twenty-five dollars. Thank you, Mark. I'm sure you're gonna enjoy them. The next item is another item from Hawaii. This is the Aloha gift bag. And anyone else? One forty. And we have Kim on the line with us. Hey, Kim. Hello. Hey. Hey, Kim. <laughs> Hi. Are you wanting to bid or just say hello to us? Well, no, uh, my husband will shoot me if I don't bid. So what was the latest <laughs> bid? And then I'll say hello. We it's, couldn't have that. It's 140 is the bid. Okay. I will, uh, I will bid 175 for Brian. All right. All right. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, and yep. then I just wanted to say that this is so fabulous. I'm so excited. I would have been here a lot sooner, but I got stranded on the runway in Washington, D.C., coming home for five hours. So, oh my goodness. Uh, it was awful, but I'm home and this is going so well, and I couldn't be more happy. So, this is great. Well, we're so. glad it's working out on this end, <laughs> too. You. you guys are doing a great job. Well, thank we appreciate you. it. We certainly want to thank everybody who has bid. And, and who's bought items tonight and supported ACB Radio. It's, it's been really good. We hope you've enjoyed it. We've certainly enjoyed doing this auction for you this year. And we really appreciate the Radio Storm hosting the auction and Mike and Angie letting us come and hang out for the whole evening at their house um, and include with them and with their dog and their cat. And we just had a great time. Um, we also want to thank Larry Turnbull for all of his work. Without his help, uh, we couldn't have been on the air and couldn't have broadcast to you. So I want to thank the entire committee, which includes um, those of us here, but also Carrie Bishop in uh, Washington, who obviously did a lot for the auction, and Brian Charlson in Massachusetts. has been just so much support through this whole uh, auction thing. And um, it, we start working on this in August, and it just it takes a lot of time and uh, and effort to put it together. And Brian's been right there to help, so we appreciate him too. And thanks, Michael, again for letting us be here and and letting us use the radio storm. Oh, it's been facility. fun. We've had a great time. I want to thank Patty and Paula for helping me to get a lot of the 
uh, information together for the descriptions uh, of these items. Um, Nicole is new in the Minnesota office and uh, she was learning how to do the descriptions this year. And so of course, appreciate all of her efforts as well. So thanks to everybody. Thank you everybody for all your support. And we love ACB. <laughs> Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everybody. What's it like to take your family and go overseas to the Middle East for two years? Join us on page two for a presentation from the recent KCB conference and convention and find out what life is like for one family that did just that. And on page three is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. The speaker that's going, that we're going to hear from now is David Franklin, better known to some of you as Mike. He's my son. And, and when, he was, when he was born, we called him David, but he couldn't say David, and he called himself Day-Day instead. And, and, and my dad didn't like him calling himself Day-Day, and so he said, your name is Mike. And he could say Mike, so he became Mike. But a, a number of years ago, he morphed back into David. So he's David, but to the family, he's still Mike. So um, after getting out of high school, he got into various aspects of the military. And he's not here today uh, talking about the military. He is a chief in the U.S. Air Force, of which we are very proud. <laughs> but... Um, a few years ago, about three, three years ago or so, four maybe, um, he called up one day and said, we're going to Qatar for two years. And I thought I would die. I just thought that was, oh, I didn't know. It's like he's going to the end of the earth. And so they, they, the family went over there. And the most amazing things started happening. We started hearing all of these great stories about life in Qatar. And I th we thought that it would be interesting that you all might enjoy a little break from the blindest things, although not a complete break, to hear about life in Qatar. It, it was nothing like my image of life in the Middle East. And um, just to make it blindness related and something we might be interested in, you know, we've been advocating for accessible money for a long time and he is going to show us some money from Qatar that is accessible. So um, our next speaker is David Franklin. He's a sergeant and a chief in the Air Force, and we hope you make him welcome. Thank you. You can turn that off. We'll see if it works. Okay. All right. Now you can carry this around. Now that uh, she told me I had 20 minutes, uh -oh. she talked for five. <laughs> I am used to that. Thank you, sir. Um, so she kind of gave the introduction of uh, we went over to Qatar, but just imagine if you were uh, told for work, you know, you're going to go to Qatar and uh, um, for two years you're going to take your family. A lot of things running through your mind, I'm sure. Where will you live? Um, how will you get around? 
what's their economy, what type of food do you, do, you have to eat. Uh, one thing for my daughter, um, so married, my wife is Shauna, uh, son is David, uh, daughter is Lindsay. Uh, her biggest fear was she thought she was going to have to learn Arabic. Um, I was going to try this entire thing, 20 minutes in Arabic, but I can say one phrase or two phrases, and so it would be very short. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing that a lot of people ask is, you know, uh, is it safe? Um, you know, because the entire Middle East is a, a terrorist hotspot, right? Nah, not really. Um, so uh, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having me for a few minutes here. Um, try to uh, put a few things, uh, hopefully gain a little bit of knowledge of, of a few things that, that I experienced, that we experienced. Um, so, you know, the first thing, going anywhere, you got to figure out how to get there. And uh, so... Um, I went there three weeks before the family, you know, try to get lay of the land, uh, make it easier. Uh, that was a great plan. It almost worked out. Um, so, uh, you know, booked the flights, uh, went from, uh, I forgot where it was, here? I'm not sure, but through Chicago uh, to get on a, a Qatar Airways flight. And um, it was going to go straight from Chicago to Doha, uh, which was great, 13-hour flight. Um, but didn't have to transfer anywhere. So I get to the airport and, uh, you know, look on the screens and, you know, you got to figure out where you're going to uh, transfer to. And it was Terminal 5. And, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot. I, I seem to uh, kind of say I can get around an airport pretty good. Following all the signs and uh, Terminal 5, next thing I know, I'm, I'm going outside of security. And I'm like, what in the world? Um, then I realized I found out that I had to take the tram from the terminal I was in over to Terminal 5, which is the international terminal, which makes sense. And then you got to recheck and then go back through security and then hit customs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I get over to Terminal 5, and I'm looking for the Qatar Airway counter, and it's not there. Like, nothing says Qatar Airways. Um, so I'm looking around, walking up and down the corridor, finally asked somebody um, about where Qatar Airways was. They pointed me back down where I came from and said, oh, they're down there. Um, not not very helpful, and uh, so I walk back down there. Still don't see Qatar Airways, so I'm not going crazy. Um, and so then I ask somebody else, and they go, "Oh, they're going to be right here in about an hour. Um, just come back." So I go eat, do something, come back, and lo and behold, Qatar Airways counter is there. Um, like magically, they take down all the signs from another airline. They put up all the signs and all the things sitting on the floor in your way, and um, People in Qatar Airway uniforms, and, and there it is. Um, why, why I bring that up and, and go through that whole litany of things there is, like I said, I, I've, I've traveled quite a bit, gone through airports, and, and I can see all the signs. I can see all the, the uh, um, you know, directional things and stuff like that. I had to ask some people that really weren't too nice about it and just kind of pointed down there. So you just imagine if you were blind or, or you know had low vision and you couldn't couldn't figure all that out, and then you had to recheck. You know who knows who knew you had to recheck at the daggone airline counter, and then get back through security and everything like that. Um, so if it was frustrating for me, I could see where it'd be frustrating for folks who who don't have the vision to actually be able to try to navigate that. Um, through the airport. So, finally get on the flight. Um, as, you, as you can imagine, going through TSA in an international um, corridor was quite interesting. Um, 
Not everybody speaks English as, as good as in most domestic areas. Um, but so now I'm on the flight. Um, I believe most of the flights I took, I, I talked my way into a bulkhead seat so I could have more leg room. Um, and like I said, it was 13 hours. You know, you had a TV screen. Every seat had a, a large TV screen that you could uh, watch one of thousands of movies. Um, and it was great. Uh, took several flights back and forth between the States and, and, and Qatar throughout those two years. And at some point, I realized, and, and Brian, you brought this up, descriptive video. There were descriptive videos on there. Um, and so... I was like, well, this is pretty good. This, but then I realized all the screens are touch screens. Um, and none of the menus talked. So I was like, well, this is a great idea. Execution was poor, though. Um, I guess you could, you, could, you could ask a neighbor sitting next to you um, or the flight attendant. You really don't know how that's going to work out. You scroll through thousands of movies to figure out the one that you want to watch. Um, so just... just Bringing that up as a uh, as a point there um, is again a great idea, but but poor execution on that. Um, so the, the, all the flights, you know, back and forth, they're they're real good. Of course, they're long. Um, the flight in Chicago, I think, it was 13 hours. Philly was 13 hours. Did Miami one time? It was 15 hour flight. Um, but they really take care of you on those flights. You know, you, you're constantly eating um, or drinking, whatever you want to do, um, and all that. So after I get there, uh, get into Qatar, just like most countries, you, know, you shuffle down a hallway and you go through immigrations um, and customs, first things immigrations. And, and we had heard a lot of horror stories about the Qatar immigration process that, you know, don't say anything, you know, to them uh, because most likely they won't let you in the country and you'll be deported. And I mean, just all these horror stories that, that we had heard. And um, these stories not only came from military members, but the families that were already there um, posting on Facebook and all the other social media junk. Um, but what I found in immigration was just, you know, people just doing their job, just like any other place. Um, and then if we, uh, you know, treat those people with respect, you know, they'll do the same thing back to you. Never once had an issue with Qatar immigrations um, or customs. Um, but then again, I, I try not to be that rude American um, and, and thinking that I'm entitled or special um, in somebody else's country. Um, and, and a guest of, of the state of Qatar. Um, while I was there for two years, I traveled to many other countries, whether it was uh, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, Egypt, um, and Oman. Uh, some for work, some for pleasure with the family. Um, I'd heard several bad stories about the other countries, but once again, you know, patience and a little mutual respect went a long way. Uh, one thing uh, to, to note is, again, I do not speak Arabic, nor do I speak Hebrew when we went to Israel. Um, got through just fine. Because they all spoke somewhat of English. Um, just imagine somebody coming from another country into the U.S., and what they're going to meet at immigrations is a very angry immigration officer that's been on his feet for eight hours and only speaks English. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the thought process, you know, when, when we go to different countries, you know, they're, they're at least trying to meet me halfway speaking a little broken English. Um, well, another thing on their immigration system, most of these countries, um, 
it's, it's very interesting. You, most of them, you, most countries, you have to have a visa to come into, uh, whether it's a work visa, uh, official visa, or a, a tourist visa. Some countries, it's prearranged. You got to apply beforehand. Other countries, you can buy one on the spot. Um, a lot of the countries, tourism is their main uh, source of income, so it's it's just a, a money producing thing for the for the country. Um, but the more interesting thing is the immigration process. So immigration is when you come in, immigrate when you go out. Uh, in the United States, you, you want to leave the country, you get on a flight and you leave, right? You really don't talk to anybody. Nobody knows you're gone. Nobody really cares that you're gone. Um, but the better for your mother, yeah. Um, but the 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 process in these other countries is you go through immigration. So you've got to show your ID, your passport, whatever it is, your residency card, whatever the case may be, um, so you can leave. And one reason for this is um, to a ensure that you can leave, and we'll get to that in a little bit on who can and can leave. And then. Um, in most of the countries, your, your passport or your residency card is tied to your driver's license, is tied to your um, license on your car. Um, so they also check to make sure you don't owe any traffic tickets. And if you do, if you do, they will send you down to the uh, um, MOI, uh, Minister of Interior desk that's at, the, at, at every airport, every country has it, so you can pay your ticket. Clear that up, and then you can leave the country. They, again, they want their money. Um, so get through the entire immigration process. Um, get bags, go to customs. Um, get, get through the customs process. Uh, you know, in, in, in Qatar, uh, being a Muslim country, you cannot take things like alcohol or pork, um, anything like that. So they scan all your bags. Um, met the folks that, that, were, that were meeting me at the, at the airport. Walk outside. They're parked in the parking structure. Um, and, and then that's when it hit me. I went over there in July. Um, it was about 120 degrees, nearly 100% humidity. Um, I was thinking, what did I sign up for? And what's my family going to think when they get here in three weeks? Um, so go to the base, uh, get settled in. I stayed in a, uh, stayed in, uh, a room there on base um, at IUD Air Base, where I was assigned. And uh, it's, it's a bit different than, than any other military installation because the... Um, there's only about 35 Air Force families uh, that, that are over there as family units um, of about 10,000 folks that are on base. Um, we, unlike any other place uh, that we've lived, I didn't, we didn't get to pick our house, or better said, um, I didn't have to find a house. Um, the, the Air Force contracts with several, um, I'll use air quotes, compounds um, that are deemed appropriate uh, for military members to stay in and their families. And it's all based on availability. Um, some people said that that sounds bad, uh, but to me I was okay with it because I heard that all the compounds were nice and the houses were large. Um, the different compounds that were used, um, different types of homes built by different contractors. Some houses are what I call tall and skinny. They were three stories with uh, not as wide, and then some were two stories, and they were a lot wider. Um, so finally got with the housing manager they said they had the house ready um, and met them is about a 20 minute ride from the base uh, down to uh, down to where we were going to live go through a security checkpoint at the compound and 
the security checkpoint, really, if you're an American and you give a good, confident wave, you get right through. They don't even stop you. Um, go in. The house, we were told the house was furnished. really didn't know what that meant. Um, found out that it was uh, very uh, Middle Eastern style uh, furniture. Um, not the best looking, but it was halfway comfortable. Um, except for the beds. The beds were like cloth wrapped plywood. Um, we, we were uh, warned of that, so Sean and I and, I and the little bit of household goods that we could ship over there, we put our mattress in the household goods as well. Um, the kids, yeah, they're young, they can handle it. So, um, they were okay with it. They were okay with it. Um, a, a little bit about the house. Um, it had two sitting areas with, you know, furnished with uh, couches and chairs, large uh, dining room with, eight per, I think, eight or ten person dining room table, kitchen that had probably 20 feet of counter space. Um, the washer and dryer were a little bit of an issue. It was all in one unit. First time I've ever seen that. So it was just, just a washer and a dryer. So you say, wash my clothes, it'll wash it and dry it. And about three hours later, you have about seven items of clothes that are washed and dry because the thing is so small. Um, so that thing was, was run all the time. Um, upstairs, uh, four bedrooms. All of them had uh, their own uh, bathrooms. Um, but they all had showers, no baths. And I had, you know, sometimes that was an issue with my daughter. She really liked to, to soak every now and then. Um, that can happen. So in summary, I, you know, I say that when I talk to people about the house and stuff like that, I say it was a very adequate 5,000-ish square foot home. Um, it was enormously big, and uh, Shauna did not like cleaning it because it's very dusty. So... Uh, to, to finish off with the compound, there's about 200 homes in, in each compound. Um, had a swimming pool, had a restaurant, um, and had a uh, little corner store. We let the kids run the entire compound. They could go and, and, and play with uh, you know, friends that they found every day, somebody new. Uh, most of the homes were uh, occupied by expatriates, somebody from, that's not from Qatar. Uh, a lot of gas industry there and uh, embassy personnel. People from all over the world, so our kids actually got to, you know, uh, learn about cultures, not just the Middle Eastern culture, but cultures, you know, folks from Australia, folks from Lebanon, folks from uh, Europe. Uh, best thing about the restaurant and the grocery, the little corner store, was they delivered. You could literally call them on the phone and say, hey, I'd like, you know, three bags of ice, because you're having a bunch of people over, and the guy would show up in about five minutes and take your money and... Uh, give you stuff. Uh, the restaurant was great. It really was, I say, dirt cheap. You could get a, a shawarma sandwich and fries for like $5. Um, again, delivered. Uh, Lindsay, my daughter, really liked the uh, restaurant because she could take some real off the table where we always had it and say she's going to go play with her friends. And then a couple days later, we figure out or find out that it was a uh, uh, opportunity to get some french fries at the, uh, at the restaurant. Um, so the uh, we're switching out to, to the economy um, of Qatar. So Qatar is uh, it's a, a, Qatar has a little bit over two million folks uh, in Qatar, and about ten percent of that are actually Qataris. Uh, the rest of it is 
expats that come in, and whether that's professionals, uh, military folks, or um, what I say is uh, low-skilled, no-skilled to skilled labor is all brought in. In general, Qataris don't work uh, labor. They are in professional uh, capacities, you know, leadership capacities. For one example, the Qatari Air Force is a all led by Qataris, mil- uh, officers, no enlisted personnel are Qatari. Uh, they usually come from uh, the Sudan um, or other places in the area, in the region. Um, the Sorry, I was getting a, a note on what to talk about. Um, <laughs> so a, a lot of the labor force is, is from um, uh, underdeveloped countries, um, whether it is uh, the Philippines, uh, Nepal. Um, man, I can't think of, of the other places right now. Um, a, a lot of places. So, so it's very cheap labor. Um, it's cheap to us. It's cheap to, to the Qataris. Um, it's not cheap to them. Uh, for example, I ran into, uh, I used Uber all the time. Uber was great over there. Um, and there was an Uber driver who had previously worked for the taxi cab company. He had been in the country for 13 years. And uh, I asked him, so, well, you know, why are you here so long? And he said, you know, his family had gotten used to it. And when he said family, he meant his cousins, his uncles, everybody else, got used to his income that he would then send back home. Most of the labor force that's brought in is put into Housing areas, um, for, I never went there from what I understand, probably not the, the places that any of us want to live in. Uh, people packed in uh, like sardines. Uh, they're given somewhat of board, but so most of the money they send back home. So this guy was probably making about 400 US a month, um, and he, that was good for him. To, he sent most of that back, and his family was living very comfortably back in, in Nepal for, for that little bit of money. So with that cheap labor force, you can have people doing a lot of things. Um, and the Qataris actually, I won't say pride themselves, but pride themselves um, on having a lot of people that work there. Um, you will literally find people, guys that are pushing push brooms down a sidewalk just to clean a sidewalk. Um, could it be done more efficiently and than, with a machine? Sure, but why not just employ some folks? Not trying to make out the, that the uh, labor force there is um, that it's it's all nice. There are some issues. Um, if anybody keeps up with the with the news, you know the World Cup's going in there in 2020, um, and world uh, human rights groups were uh, um, are kind of up in arms about how the labor force is treated um, in Qatar and other countries over there as well. Um, so it's 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 not all. You know, unicorns and rainbows. Um, it depends on who you are and what you do. The Uber driver was very happy with uh, with his condition. Um, so on uh, food, I said, you know, what are we going to have to eat? Uh, we could eat anything we wanted to. Um, we could pretty much get anything at the grocery store. Uh, the problem at the grocery store is you find something you like, you better buy as much of it as you can that's not going to spoil because you go back later it might not be there and you might not see it for another two three months because um, it's just whatever's brought in um, I said whatever whatever they, they they ship in everything is pretty much shipped in um, now I believe in Qatar they've got actually got a dairy and um, uh, chicken uh, chicken farm for and they had Qatari egg company um, they had as well 
but most of the food's brought in. As you imagine, in the middle of the desert, there's not a whole lot that's going to be grown there. Um, so food came from all over, and we actually started jotting down, because at the grocery store you could see where all the food came from. Uh, potatoes came from Jordan. Uh, plums came from Spain. Um, things just came from all over, the, all over the world that was shipped in. It was a little bit more expensive because everything was shipped in. If it was, if it was uh, fresh or could spoil, it cost more than what it costs here in the States because it would um, spoil quicker uh, because it had to be transported over a longer period of time. Um, we, I'd say we were, we were uh, cereal snobs. We like our American cereal. <laughs> Cheerios, Lucky Charms, we don't want the fake stuff. Um, so we could get it over there. This little small box was like 7 or $8. Um, yeah, way too much, right? Walmart.com, family size, $5, and it's free shipping. Um, <laughs> literally, I would, I would get boxes. Uh, we could ship it to the base, so it costs no additional for shipping shipping to the, U, UPO, uh, the APO address. And so I would literally get huge boxes. It was nothing but cereal that Shauna had ordered on Walmart. So we can get anything. Uh, one thing I do miss from being over there is the lamb. Um, lamb is a, a, a just a daily staple, um, and it's great over here. It's a delicacy, and you got to go to a fine restaurant, and they cut half of it off of the lamb chop, and I don't know what they do with all that meat uh, that they waste. Um, so, so lamb you could get it, you know, anyway, um, and shawarma, and then the bread, 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 more bread, um, the fresh bread, kind of like pita bread. Puff bread, naan, whatever you want to call it, was was great. Um, so, lamb, hummus, and bread is some of the stuff that I really miss from over there. Um, let me see. I'm running over time, but that's okay. I'm going to just keep going. The uh, um, with the language at the airport, same way throughout the entire country. U.S. is kind of spoken because I said all these all these people are brought in from other countries. Um, so English is 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 spoken by most people. Um, I, I said I was going to try to learn a little bit of Arabic. Really had no opportunity because everybody spoke English, um, or they spoke their their language of their native country. So they didn't even speak Arabic. You know, you go to the grocery store, and, and it's not people that speak Arabic. Um, they, but everybody speaks kind of broken English. Um, the uh, uh, Let me hit the... And, and that was the same way in, in all the other countries that we went to as well. We had very little problems with uh, people that not, did not speak English. If you went to an off-the-path off restaurant somewhere, you might get that. Um, but, you know, pointy talkie works pretty much anywhere. So... Um, you can figure it out. Um, women, a lot of people have questions about women. Uh, you always hear about, you know, how women are, are, are um, oppressed, I guess. I don't know. Um, in, in, over in the Middle East, you've got, you've got your large spectrum. Um, and this is with uh, a lot of things. So you've got Dubai. Everybody's heard about Dubai, and it's, you know, a big party and all that kind of stuff. It is. It really is. Um, they... Uh, they're at one end of the spectrum, and I'm going to say probably Saudi Arabia is at the other end of the spectrum. So in, in UAE, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, um, and, and Qatar, you know, women could go and do what they want to do all day long. They don't have to be out with a male. They can drive and all that kind of stuff. Saudi Arabia is kind of getting there. Um, uh, they, in the past couple of months, they've allowed women to start driving, um, but they still can't be out you know, unless they're with a male. Um, so in, in Qatar, um, women were, uh, were, re, were respected. 
and uh, you, you wouldn't know that you were in any different of a, of a country, um, except for the way that um, people dressed, some of the women, um, depending on where they were from and what their heritage is, uh, they would either dress like Westerners, like we do, like everybody is in here, or they would wear their abaya uh, to where they would, uh, some would just cover their head, some would cover their entire face, it just depends on what their um, family beliefs were, where they were, usually where they were from. Um, hit on threat real quick because that's one thing that a lot of people, man, it's not safe over there, is it? Um, uh, and this kind of goes into the, the, the speaking of females as well. Um, so the criminal threat over there is low. Uh, people really don't have, there's not much crime. Most of the crime happens where a lot of the um, unskilled or low-skilled labor works because they're packed in there. There's a lot of drugs there. Um, just like any other um, uh, lower income place in the U.S., um, you, you're going to find problems um, as, as you go into those areas. Um, but that labor force that comes over there that's working, they, they actually ask to come over there to work. They want to be there. So they're not going to do anything um, that's going to get them A, in jail, or B, deported. Because um, once they're deported, they're never coming back. And they really get blacklisted from all the countries over there. So they're not going to come back and work. Um, it, people, people consider those folks uh, um, a very good, safe uh, workforce. A lot of people have housekeepers. I say housekeepers. They're really housekeepers, maids, cooks, stuff like that. Um, a, a normal uh, Qatari family might have one to three people that work in, in the household um, that live there. Um, some people, um, sometimes it's not the best conditions. Sometimes it's okay. We had folks that were Air Force families that had uh, live-in maids um, because both uh, the spouses worked. Um, but kids were actually sent in Ubers. It's like our son was going to go home one day with one of his friends from school. They're like, oh, does he ride the bus? Um, does the friend ride the bus? I'm like, no, no, no. Um, and we find out that every day he rides to and from school in an Uber without, his, without a parent. Um, and we find out that people do that all the time because they just, the, the Uber drivers are, are, are you know, uh, drivers that are brought from other countries and they don't want to do anything to, to jeopardize that. Um, I would say that, that uh, uh, Qatar, very small country, right? Qatar is... Uh, um, probably a lot safer than uh, some of the boroughs in New York City and absolutely safer than south side of Chicago. Uh, we, we had no problem. We, we, we never thought of anything about being, um, being in harm. At one point, we are following GPS. I'm like, we never know if we're in a bad area. Um, I don't know if there were bad areas. Uh, the terrorist threat. Um, so in my job, in my capacity, um, I'm with the Office of Special Investigations with the, with the Air Force, and we do felony-level criminal investigations, and we also do counterintelligence work. Uh, so we're very close to what the threat is. Um, in most areas, we're, we're in, uh, we have 256 offices throughout the, United, throughout the world. Um, so we're pretty in tune with what, what the threats are. Um, in the Middle East, um, of course, there are there are threats, um, as everybody hears on the on the TV, just like there are here in the United States. Um, so long as you stay in like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, you're good to go. Now, if you wander off into Iraq or Syria, you got some issues, um, and and also down in uh, uh, the Sudan, um, south of uh, Saudi Arabia. 
But for, for developed nations, those developed nations, um, I think it's pretty much uh, somewhat of an increased threat than what's here in the United States. Um, but they have had very little issues um, within most of those countries over there. Qatar has had one major attack and, and Kuwait had one major attack uh, um, throughout years, decades of, of, uh, of issues. So it's, it's all about where you go and, and um, what time of year it is. Because um, there is some additional stuff. So, so one thing uh, is on the economy is money. So the, the, the difference in money, I'm going to pass this around and I know I'm going way over. Is, it, is, it, is the guy that's supposed to talk to me before here yet? Yeah, yeah? okay. Man, you're going to have to take up somebody else's time. I'm sorry, man. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to pass around. This is a, a 1, a 5, a 10, and a 50 real, Qatari uh, real. And you, you, you'll see the, the smaller the bill, the smaller it's worth. Um, a real, one real is worth 27 cents. Um, so, uh, you know, I think this is a 50, a 10, and a 5, so this is, what, 18 bucks? I don't know. Something like that. And, and they can just be passed around um, um, as we go on through the day. Um, you got it, extra? Does anybody have any uh, questions? Yes, ma'am. There's a way you're never asked to talk to come back. Come back and talk. It's just talk all day. Would you say that the religion in the countries that you've been in is mostly Islam? That's a great question. So yeah, they're, they are uh, um, uh, primarily uh, they're Muslim and Islamic country. Um, in Qatar, there's uh, what was called the uh, religious complex, I think. And so it had a lot of the, uh, had all the Christian churches and stuff like that. So they are open to, um, you know, they're not religious fanatics, I guess is the, is the way to put it. Um, yes, there are mosques everywhere. You get used to five, five times a day. Uh, you hear the call to prayer. Um, and um, funny story, we came back to the States and Shana, we're somewhere and there's like a chainsaw. Um, that's going, and Shana actually was like, ah, she thought that was the call to prayer because just, just the way it usually starts. Um, but you just get used to it. It's, it's just a part of way of life. Yes, ma'am. I was kind of curious about the schools there. Was the schoolwork more challenging for the kids um, than it is here in the States? Were girls afforded the same opportunity in the schools as the boys, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So, so no difference in boys and girls over there in Qatar. It is, you know, everybody's just everybody, just like over here. Uh, the schools for our kids, they went into the American School of Doha. Um, it was not, and so usually with the DOD, there's DOD schools. But the American School of Doha is a private school. Um, I want to thank every taxpayer because uh, I didn't pay anything for them to go there. It was, it was a, it was a, I mean, the tuition was kind of cheap at 25000 a year per kid. Um, very good school. You, you, you get what you pay for, right? 25000 a year is, is pretty daggone good. Um, great, great schools. We came from Fairfax County in Virginia, which is a great school district over there, then to Beaver Creek, Ohio, and, and I would say ASD was, was far the best. Ma'am. What was the biggest culture shock for you and your wife or your family, and would you all go back again? Um, I would definitely go back. Um, we, we might have stayed for a third year, but my daughter really wanted to come back to the States. She was missing some of the luxuries here in the States. The biggest culture shock, I think, um, I'd already been over into the Middle East and in Afghanistan um, a, a lot, but 
I'm going to say that it was the, um, the, the way people dressed. Um, both the, for the kids, especially um, both the men, because a lot of the men wore were dashes, which is the um, you know kind of like the big robe, the big white thing with the head head thing on. And then the women, like I said, you know, depending on um, what their beliefs were, they would you know either cover up their just their head, um, have the big black. My wife says she doesn't know how they do it because it's, it's so hot and it's just all black. Um, and then the, uh, some of them would cover their entire face and um, like pull the covering from their face to actually eat out at a restaurant. There's a question over here. One more before I get cut. Hang on. How's their water up there? Is it kind of like Mexican water or can you drink from the sink or what is it like? So uh, we drank bottled water. Um, we used the tap water for cooking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, funny thing is, is that uh, because it, just the way it came through, uh, the base actually goes out and they tested the water. Environmental bioenvironmental bio came out and tested the water, and um, they had to retest it because they couldn't believe the results. It had zero um, counts of bacteria in it, um, so it was it was actually very clean water and it tasted fine. Um, there was no issue. It was sent through pipes and then up to the top of the house and gravity fed into the house. One thing about the water, in the summertime, you turn your hot water heater off and you use the hot tap for, I'm going to use my air quotes, cold, because the cold water that's in the, that's outside, right, going through the system and then sitting in this, up, um, in 120 degree temperature, it gets very hot. So the cold water ended up being the hot water and you hope that water that's sitting in the hot water heater cools down. So you had no cold water in the summertime. It was all either hot or hotter. Adam, you, you. Mike, I was just wondering if uh, you could tell us quickly about the is it international soccer uh, that's going to be coming in? How they solve their housing problem? Um, I don't know that they Hotel. did. Hotel. They did. So yeah, so I said the World Cup's coming in twenty twenty or twenty twenty two, something like that. Um, they, they don't have enough uh, hotels there, and of course you can build hotels, but they, they, there's a bunch of buildings downtown that aren't being, even being used. They look nice on the skyline. But they, uh, so last I heard, they were going to um, make what they call a tent city, like put up these big tents and stuff out in the desert. And then um, they were also going to bring in, which I understand a lot of cities do this when they're going to have big events, they're going to bring in um, cruise ships and dock it at the port, um, and then people stay on the cruise ships and then go down and um, but if anybody knows anything about soccer, it's a uh, um, so in Qatar you don't openly drink alcohol. You can drink alcohol at the hotels, at the five star hotels, or you can, if you're a resident, you can buy it that and pork at the sin store. Um, but if you know anything about soccer, it, usually soccer fans like to have a few beers every now and then. Yeah. So they're still working out um, where these folks are going to be able to have oh have a few beers. Oh. Thank you very much. Mike, uh, on behalf of Kentucky Council of the Blind, we'd like to present you with a set of coasters with the ACB logo logo on it. Very nice. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that. <laughs> we had all these descriptive telephone calls, you know, from Qatar, and what was neat, the first time that, that Mike went over to Afghanistan, he had to go outside 
and stand out, I guess, by the airstrip or somewhere in order to make a call home. And we couldn't call him. And by the time, several years later, he got to Qatar, he had a Magic Jack number, and we just dialed a local phone number to talk to him. It was crazy. So technology, back to the technology that Michael McCarty was talking about last night, what a change. APH is Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Page 3 Sound Prince calendar. On December 10, KCB Next Generation will have their next nationwide conference call at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is for ACB members 40 and under or individuals who would like to be supportive of this new effort in ACB. To join the call, dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572 595193. For questions, contact Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774 or email her at alsmoot87 at gmail.com. December 11, Savvy, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, will have their Christmas party from noon to 2.30 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. Join them for dinner, games, and more. Donations for the church and in memory of Margaret Felix, who recently passed away, will be collected at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. For reservations, call 270-684-4418 by noon on December 9. December 12, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155619. For more information about NKCB, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On December 12, the KCB PR Membership Committee will hold its meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call at 669-900-6833. The code is 3572-595-193. On December 13, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a Christmas party at noon in Lexington at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway. For more information or to sign up for the party, call 859-259-1834. On December 13, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 14, GLCB's Roundabout will include bingo. The activity is from 3.30 to 10 p.m., Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Discussion Time 5 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, $6 per person, 
Bargain table, 7 p.m., bingo, $2 a person, 7.30 to 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On December 16, the KSB alumni will have a board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern by phone, 606-475-6006, enter code 294444. December 17, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will have a board meeting at 8 p.m. by telephone. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On Friday, December 21, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its Christmas party in Covington from 7 to 9 p.m. at the City Goat Restaurant in Covington. The address is 404 Pike Street. For more information, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On Friday, December 21, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On Thursday, December 27, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a Low Vision Support Group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. And on Friday, December 28, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its last roundabout of the year, 3.30 to 10 at UCHM in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for details. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.